Hey, what's up, Alberta Filmmakers Podcast listeners? Welcome to a very special episode of the podcast. We're calling this series the Feature Film Files, and let me tell you why. Because this isn't going to be just a regular episode where we dive into like a filmmaker's past or we talk about a, a, a an essay or a panel or something. This is This is going to be a specific series designed for people who might have a goal in mind of making their own feature film. And I know that's true of a lot of uh, of a lot of filmmakers. We want to make our first feature film. We want to break through to that point. We want to get that done before we're 25 or before we're 30 or before we're dead or something. But like I know that a lot of us have that goal. I certainly do to get my first feature film made. And so because that's such a big goal and I think it's so prevalent, uh, I wanted to do this this series called the feature film files and there are a couple of feature filmmakers in in alberta um i mean there's actually quite a few um and so this is going to be about exploring that endeavor the endeavor to create a feature film uh the main podcast is going to be more about learning about the the journey of a filmmaker where they come from the education their process their how they got to where they are now and what they're working on currently but this time i sat down with three filmmakers uh about a film they made called ali was screaming and we didn't talk so much about their backgrounds even though i'd really like to all of them are really interesting dudes and i'd love to sit them down individually on the podcast and hopefully we'll get to do that as well but this conversation was about the feature film that they made called ali was screaming and the reason i want to i wanted to launch it today november 13th is because it's a very important day in in the life of this film because it's had some successful festival appearances but what's really important i mean especially if you're a filmmaker who's poured a lot of blood sweat and tears into their creation here is that there's maybe a path to actually seeing some money and obviously you know financing a feature film a lot of people got to get paid back beforehand but uh, the big step to to even starting to generate some some income on your uh or or you know some replacement income or, or, or return on investment for your investors is getting a distributor on board. It's not something you need to do. It's something you can do before you even start shooting. But a lot of distributors, I believe, like to come on board after a film is done. So Ali was screaming, finished shooting. And on October 27th, after some successful screenings, including one in Beijing, a company called Pacific Northwest Pictures decided to acquire the film and I, I shouldn't put it that way according to the filmmakers they actually had a few offers and the filmmakers themselves decided to go with pacific northwest the deal was made and what's specifically interesting about this deal was that it is not a traditional independent feature film deal a lot of times in the last five or ten years or so especially with the with the rise of vod and itunes um a lot of distribution companies are skipping the theatrical release it's an expense that doesn't necessarily always uh, bring a return on investment right now my understanding is that if on the indie film level um, a theatrical release is more of a marketing ploy and less of a, a, a revenue generator so it can be costly to, to put a film in theaters and if it doesn't really generate a lot of ticket sales um, hopefully you're getting some buzz out of it for your VOD release your Netflix release your iTunes release or your pay TV release um, so when Pacific Northwest picked up Ali was screaming they decided to do a theatrical release and that's really uncommon it's really rare and so I wanted to talk to them about 
what that means for the film and uh, and what it means for uh, Alberta filmmakers in general. So the reason I'm dropping this podcast today is because, like I said, it's an important day. It is the theatrical release date of Ali was screaming in Alberta. Now it, it has screened at some festivals uh, in Alberta before, but this is important because if they can sell some tickets to this movie, it sends a really strong message to a distributor like Pacific Northwest Pictures uh, that there's some interest in this film, and that if we imagine we could sell out three screenings in a row, that would actually draw the attention of the community as a as a whole in Canada and say, oh, there's actually some some real interest in independent film in these markets, and and that's good for everybody because suddenly more people are paying attention to our community, the Alberta filmmaking community, and it could mean more opportunities for all filmmakers. So it's really important, I think, that we all support each other because what's good for one of us is good for all of us. And I wanted to uh, mention that if you if you want to get to your screening tonight, uh, tonight is the night um, in Edmonton. Uh, if you're trying to get to uh, a screening in Calgary, you're going to have to wait. But on uh, November 13th uh, at 7 p.m., Ali was screaming is screening at the Metro. There's also a screening on November 15th at 2 p.m. and November 16th at 9 p.m. Let's pack these screenings, guys. In Edmonton, let's get out there. And then, of course, uh, on uh, uh, Monday, November 16th at 7 p.m. at the Globe in Calgary, there's a screening of um, Ali was screaming. Uh, Ali was screaming there. Um, we got to get out there and we got to film. Uh, we got to fill these seats, I should say. Um, Ali was screaming is also doing another uh, screening event uh, on November 18th at the Globe, and this one's a special event uh, that includes um, uh, Tom Benz will join Jeremy Thomas, the director, and Colin Sheldon, the producer, in discussing bringing Ali to the big screen. So you're and you're also if you attend this, you're also going to get uh, some drinks uh, at a discounted rate at the State and Main, just on the corner there. Um, that's on the 18th. And on the 17th, um, at the Globe, Jeremy Thomas and, special, and a special guest will talk about the moral quandaries posed in the film, including various social issues such as our responsibility to contribute in a society that rewards self-interest. So the film itself is a discussion on ethics, and the director is going to be hosting an, a discussion on ethics following the screening as well. Uh, so get out there and attend these screenings, guys. Pack that house. And uh, without further ado, the filmmakers, some of the filmmakers behind Ali Was Screaming, Colin Sheldon, uh, one of the producers, the main producer, uh, Dan Dumichel, who was the cinematographer and also producer, and Jeremy Thomas, who was the writer-director. We had a great conversation. And if you're interested in learning how to uh, get your feature film made, well, stay tuned, my friend, because we're going to spill some secrets here that I think you're going to find very useful. Uh, we're going to be back to some regular episodes soon, uh, but this is, again, a, just, just a very special feature film files, and uh, hopefully we've got more of these to come. We'll talk soon. Thanks. What I was saying earlier was that some of the previous podcasts have been um, kind of just like, who are you as a filmmaker, and what's your filmmaker journey, and kind of really promoting what they're working on. Um, but... I haven't spoken to any future filmmakers yet. And 
what I'm thinking is, I, you know, the goal for a lot of people is to make their first feature film and continue making feature films. So I'm, I'm thinking about doing like a side series called The Feature Filmmakers. So I'm, I'm thinking we will kind of focus on, on that if you're cool with it. Um, but firstly, I, I want to start with, we'll Tarantino it a little bit because I know Colin and Dan, you two have worked together for a long time. How long, when, when did you, the three of you start working together? Can we, I tell that story? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, okay. Because firstly, introduce yourself just in case so the audience knows whose voice this is. My name is Jeremy Thomas and I'm the writer director of Ali Was Screaming. Awesome. Which is opening in theaters in Calgary on Monday, November 16th. And if you're listening to this the day it drops, that's today. Oh, wow. My goal is to get this out the morning of that, so. Okay. So anyway, how did you three start working together? Okay, so uh, I'm gonna give you my complete story in 30 seconds. Okay. Okay, so when I was, I got a video camera for Christmas when I was a kid, so I started shooting little movies. As I heard, that's the good, Steven Spielberg said that actually. A good way to be a filmmaker is just start shooting stuff and then let yourself do bad stuff whatever if it's you learn from your mistakes right then at university i do them as class projects i started working at new tv the university television yes. station or society and then did shorts i won the alberta motion picture Award for best student work so i thought eh, maybe i'll try to get a grant did another one and i thought well maybe i'll try to do a feature a feature film uh because i thought you know that shouldn't be that all that much more work than a short you only have to cast it once you only have to get the crew once but it did end up being that much more work. So I did, in 2005, we shot a movie called The End. And I was such an amateur. Now here's where I come. This was a feature? Yeah. Oh, Here, cool. Here's awesome. where I come close to answering your question. Okay. So I was such uh, an amateur that when I couldn't get um, a budget for this feature that I wanted to do, I put out a call to uh, the Calgary Society of Independent Filmmakers and was trying looking for a cinematographer because mm-hmm. I knew that I was too uh, too much of a buffoon <laughs> to take on anything like that myself. And when was this? This was in spring of 2004. Oh, okay. And so uh, I I had some cinematographers come to me and, and, and a couple that I met were Colin and Dan. Colin is sitting here at this table right now for this podcast and mm. so is Dan. Dan Dumichel is the cinematographer. And Colin is the producer. But so Colin said um, that he could do sound and that Dan could do the cinematography. Mm -hmm. And I was saying, this is how much of an amateur I was. I was saying, like, I don't have much money for equipment. Can we just light nighttime scenes with, like, car headlights? (laughs) How did you feel about that, Dan? Um. (laughs) (laughs) Not ideal. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm reaching the end of this. This whole podcast isn't going to be about this moment. And so I, I said, I can only afford to pay you guys like not much more than $1,000. Sure. And uh, Colin and Dan said, uh, take whatever money you're going to pay us, put it towards the movie and make a better movie. And that's how you can, that's how you can pay us. Right, right. And I mean, so I mean, I trusted that level of commitment and anything that looks good about that movie that went on to be quite successful playing at international festivals and stuff. It's because of what those guys brought to it. This was End? This was the End is the called. End. Oh, okay, yes. gotcha, cool. The End from 2005. Awesome, awesome. So that's when you all started working together. Yeah, yeah which is... trusted them since. Yeah, so I'm Dan Dumichel. This is my voice. <laughs> uh, and Colin, so Colin and I met because we went to say together. So oh, okay, we, we awesome. met in 2004 and graduated in 2005. Okay. And yeah, Colin actually, um, I think it was actually, we more co-DP'd the end. Um, okay. 
Yeah. yeah. I did help with some producing and, and sound. I mean, it was one of those sorts of crews, but yeah. So yeah, looking at looking at your IMDb, you have a ton of sound experience that I didn't know about until I kind of started doing my research here. And so that was kind of, was that your team? Was it was it was like, okay, you'll do camera, you'll do sound, and then you've got everything covered. I mean, at least in a bare bones way, right? Um, a little bit, yeah. I mean, for me, um, I had live sound experience. Like I'd done sound for bands and that sort of thing. Right. So knowing mics and mic placements and, and all those sorts of things gave me a little bit better of a, a step into the industry. Right. And also looking at um, at the different positions on set, when you enter in as a grip, you are basically never around when the camera's rolling. You get very little um, interaction with, with the director or the DP or any of those people. It's all just kind of you know down the line. Right. Whereas with in the sound department, I mean, you're right on set and you get to see blockings. You get to see, um, you know, feedback that the director's giving and all those sorts of things. So I thought learning about sets and how they work, it seemed like it was a much better position to be in. Right. Fair enough. Cool. You you actually worked on, uh, where is it here? Six Figures. Yeah. I see. Yeah, that was my first for sure. Right, right. And I, I went and worked uh, for 724 Films, and the the producer on that was Jason Lee. And Jason works in that office now as a, as the business affairs coordinator, and uh, it's just crazy to see because he talks all about his first, you know, that was his feature film that he did. Um, so so you guys met at SAIT. I, I didn't even know that. That's really cool. Uh, so many SAIT grads. That's good stuff. Um, so I guess... You did the end, and then was it was it like okay, let's do another feature film? How did you feel about the way the end came out? Um, was it like oh, let's do this again, or, or what was the what was the move after that? I'll jump in to say something again, quick. Uh, we played at uh, a festival in downtown Disney, and Dan won the award for best cinematography there. Whoa, what what's downtown Disney exactly? It's just at Disneyland Park. It's at Disneyland. Oh, yeah, cool. Disneyland. They have just outside Disneyland. There's downtown. Oh, Disney. okay, okay. And so they have nice theaters there, uh, a festival where, as I said, so Dan won the award for cinematography, but I already trusted him. He's for good, the end. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So he is a good temperament. He's really professional. What I like about both those guys, uh, Dan and Colin, is instead of saying, oh, we, we don't have uh, the money to do this, mm-hmm. they'll say, okay, well, this is what we have. How can we make it the best under these circumstances? Right. So for the end, I paid for most of it out of my own pocket. I got some money from the Alberta Foundation for the Arts and stuff. But um, we couldn't afford all the best equipment. So Dan's hands were tied from a cinematography perspective. And still he had to kind of swallow the things that he would hate and yeah. just make it look as good as possible. Of course. And it really paid off. Yeah. And, then, and then Colin has that kind of uh, work ethic as well. And like, how can we take what we have and make something as great as we can, even if it's not what we hoped? Right. It's like that scene in Apollo 13 where they have to take the the little bits of equipment they have and make oxygen out of nothing. Right, right, right. That's Dan and Colin. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so when did you move into more of the producing side of things? Uh, it's something that kind of happened gradually. Um, we were working on short films and stuff that didn't have the level of organization that they necessarily should. Right. And, and the projects were really suffering for it. Yeah, Because yeah. if you're not prepared, then you know, stuff falls through the cracks. And so sure. I started, you know, coming on and, and helping with that sort of thing. And I also had a Bachelor of Commerce degree. So it just kind of seemed like a natural fit. Totally. Awesome. All right, cool. I don't think we answered your last question. No, we didn't. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, typical Jeremy <laughs> really? gets us off the rails. Um, <clears throat> but as, I, th- I think Jeremy would be the per- person that 
actually answer that question. Right. So after the end, was it time to write Ali was screaming or was it what, what happened after that? Okay. I'll try to be long winded. So you <laughs> guys will get to yeah. talk again in about 10 minutes. <laughs> okay. So, um, I, uh, we played at Calgary International Film Festival and then I met Robert Cuffley, uh-huh. who's very, uh, renowned Western Canadian filmmaker. And Absolutely. he just, he was just playing it the same year at Calgary International Film Festival with the movie Walk All Over Me yes. with Lily Sobieski and Trisha Helfer. Huge movie. Yeah, I was so impressed. Like mm-hmm. I was, the the feeling in the audience was electric and I was a little bit starstruck. I didn't know Robert before then. And I thought, I got to team up with this guy because as good as Dan and Colin are at their thing, Robert has uh, credentials. Sure. Yeah. So I uh, I said to him, hey, I, I want to write this movie. Um, I want to do this movie called Princess Fat Ass. <laughs> yeah, about this heroic, young, rebellious fat chick who kind of revolutionizes her high school. And... Uh, I said to Robert, even though he's a writer-director, I said, do you want to be my story editor? Uh And he said, well, I'm not a story editor. And I said, well, you are now. (laughs) And so he said, yes, he would do it. Now, that movie, we uh, we actually did get development money for, which is thrilling. It was optioned by uh, Chaos Pictures at the time. Why have I heard of it? I feel like I heard about it. it, Did you finish it? Did you do it? No, because it it never ended up getting made to this point. But I mean, it's, we're still, oh, it still could be there. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. And so then, um, and then so while that was kind of in a little bit of limbo, I wrote Allie Was Screaming, mm-hmm. and I said uh, to Robert Cuffley, my then story editor, so uh, Mr. Cuffley, would you, would you like to be our executive producer? And he was saying, well, I'm, of course, a writer-director and now story editor, not an executive producer. And I said, well, you are now, <laughs> if, if you want to be. Yeah. And so, uh, so that for me, that's one of the huge smart moves you guys made was, was getting them on board. I mean, going through the features first program for me, it became completely clear that you have to have someone with a a strong resume and experience on board so that broadcasters and distributors are going to take you seriously. So what made you do that in, in the first place? Was it just like, Hey, we like him and and yeah, I I like his work and I knew that he was connected and he was a good mentor to me. Like I've met with other people in the industry. I have two categories of people that I meet in the film industry, people who make me want to make movies and people who make me not want to make movies. (laughs) Yes. And that the latter is probably most of them, but but Cuffley was like he's only a couple years older than me. But he's right. like he's like dad, <laughs> so he, he's uh, he, he's kind of a good father figure mentor. He is really willing to um, tell me the hard truths. And he uh, so after he met Colin and Dan, who I'd already trusted because of of course my working relationship with them. With and he thought they were uh, Robert liked them as well. So uh, so that's how the four of us ended up saying we applied to telefilm and with then Colin's resume, Dan's resume, my resume, and then Cuffley to kind of give it that um, seniority. Right. We were all on board to make this feature. Yeah. I would think for those for those people listening, it's, it, that, that's a highly important piece. If you don't have the resume, find someone who does and convince uh, convince them to to get on board because uh, it makes a huge difference for someone like telefilm, right? And, and you guys did receive telephone funding. And, and how did that happen? because <laughs> that's a huge grant that's massive the, the to get. first time did you want to say about the first year well the know? first year we wanted to plan the um filmmakers assistance no the low budget the, filmmakers assistance program oh, okay not the micro budget it didn't exist at didn't that exist. time okay this is 2010 right and so the ironic no, thing was that um they wanted a certain s- status in order to give you the money like you sure. need to have existing 
pieces of your resume. Sure. So we applied for it, but one of the festivals they didn't accept as being um, qualifying, and because they were in budget cutbacks, we got tossed before right. we even being considered. Sure. And the next year is when they brought in the micro budget. Mm. But for the micro budget, you can't have done a feature. Can't before. have done a feature before. Yes. So I mean, we we're cut. So we actually went after the regional program. Right. Um, and Which I is mean, the tough one. It is. It's hugely I mean, subscribed. I think there were, the year we applied, there were 13 features and we were the only one greenlit. Yeah. Wow. Crazy. So, I mean, it's it's one of those things where a lot of it is, is luck of the draw. I mean, I think part of it is that Jeremy had established himself a little bit. Um, Telefilm especially, they are going after feature films, not MOWs. So the fact that he had played at so many... Like he played at Fantasia, and they they called it what one of the most original films of the year. Yeah, and Fantasia is the largest genre fest in North America, and then and they were saying such good things about the end. Yeah, Fantasia is huge. Absolutely, it's got a great reputation. So yeah, and then that coupled with they did like the script, um, and also we were applying for a relatively small amount of money because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. um, the way I think at the time they had about two million bucks to give away. So if you're asking for five hundred thousand, then you have a much lower chance of getting it. Sure. So it was just kind of right place, right time. They liked the script. They liked the team. Um, and I mean, Robert did play a big role in that too, mm-hmm. just giving mm-hmm. us credibility and and raising that level of trust. And mentorship and, and knowledge. Right, yeah. So when when the script was done, did you guys give it a read? And, and what did you think at that time? No, we, no? Uh, we don't get given reads. <laughs> <laughs> we, we get the script written... Uh, Read to us. Read to us. Oh, really? You have a little sit down and do a read through. It's an an action uh, adventure, care of our director. <laughs> wow! So you acted out. I'll tell you why very quickly. I actually don't think the screenplays are good uh, are good blueprints for movies. Agreed. Because so many people read them with different tones in their mind, mm-hmm. they don't get the sensibility. For sure. I mean, I could give you a bunch of examples, but it would just take too much time out of this uh, podcast. But I'll just say that I, when I try to get, hook people into working with me or supporting me financially or what have you, if I read it to them with the correct sensibility, play the music that I'm going to use, yeah, wow, I have a very high success rate. When I give them the script, I think people are sometimes a little bit yeah. at, a, at a distance. So uh, yeah, Dan and Colin are important to me. So I want to make sure that the first time they hear it, it's with the correct sensibility. So they're right, nice right. enough to give me a whole evening to go through the script the first time. That makes sense. That's interesting. I've never heard of that, but that's awesome. It reminds me of like if you know Walt Disney. They say that he when he would go, he would kind of act out like Snow White, so his animators would be able to kind of envision right, right. stuff like that. Huh. That, I mean, that's interesting because on the opposite end of things, when, when we went through the NSI Features First program, the uh, the script was read by Melissa Catchpust in front of all four teams and, and you know, the, the Super Channel representative and all that stuff. And, and she reads it intentionally without any emotion whatsoever. She, like, she's down, like, there's no animation in her voice whatsoever. And she says she does this because... When you send a script to an exec or to a distributor, they're they're going to read it in bed, and they're not they're not going to be putting a ton of emphasis on it, right? So that I mean, that's a great solution, actually. Yeah, I like do, that. Do you know what I did for one of the ones that were um, that were seeking development of money for right now? Not development money, sorry, production money. Mm-hmm. I actually now recorded myself doing it. It's like a ninety minute. Uh, 
I'd like to see a podcast. Mm-hmm. I can. <laughs> a full reading of the movie with music and sound effects at night. You hear crickets and stuff like that. Yeah. I know the people in the industry are often not going to go for that. Right. But if someone's going to finance it, hey, listen to it in your car and you'll get a much better sense of it. Because right, right. a lot of people don't know how to read scripts, they say. Mm-hmm. Moving on. Sorry. No, yeah, that's a great point. So, so afterwards, what do you guys think? About Ali? Yeah. Uh, well, we really liked it. Yeah? Yeah. Awesome. I mean, we come from very different um, views on ethics and views on politics and all those things. And, and I think the thing I liked about Ali was that it doesn't give any answers. It just asks questions. And I think there are questions that everybody should be asking. Right, right. And so I think it, was, it created this nice neutral ground where we can all just get people to start thinking. Right. So for the audience, what, what's the pitch? What's it? What's it about? It's about uh, there's three friends, two guys and uh, and a gal, and uh, and and at the beginning of the movie, Ali has died, and is the Seth and Noli, the two guy friends, are cleaning out her place. They find a winning lottery ticket, and they would love to keep the thirty three million dollars, but Ali's sister Casey, who doesn't know that. Uh, that they have, that there's a winning lottery ticket in existence, is going to make sure that all of her belongings, all of her sister's belongings, are going to go to her abusive husband, who she's been separated with. So for certain situa- for certain reasons, I won't go into right now. They feel they can't keep it unless they start really compromising their morality as they know it. Hmm. So it becomes a real fable about everyone in the movie has to really question their moral intuition. It's not as simple as will they become greedy or good. It's much more complicated than that, and so um, that's why uh, that's why people will leave it uh, fighting with their friends and mm. spouses. Like, oh, I think they should do this. I think they should do that. Cool, fascinating for me too. Awesome, yeah, yeah. So when you read it or, or had it performed, <laughs> what what did you see from a cinematography perspective? What what made you excited about it? Oh, good question. <clears throat> so long ago now. <clears throat> um, Man. While Dan's thinking, I'd like to answer part of that. It's <laughs> terrible. So you know, this is this is what's tricky. It's um, there's not like a bunch of big landscapes in it. Like it's not like uh, like a western where so the movie really depended on distinguished cinematography right, right. to kind of uh, make it distinctive artistic work and not just like kind of bland TV. And so I think that uh, especially towards the climax, I needed Dan to come up with uh, very intriguing stuff in situations, in settings that are more mundane and relatable, like just in in the friend's apartment or in their house. Mm -hmm. So I mean, so Dan really had to kind of uh, come up with good, um, distinctive, naturalistic, but aesthetically pleasing cinematography. And he did that for us. And how do you go about doing that? Especially, it's a good point, like make the mundane something interesting to watch as a challenge. No, it was, it definitely was a challenge. The show was a challenge. I mean, we're not given a huge budget for this movie. I mean, so um, it's really making do with a small crew, a minimal amount of lighting, but just trying to create moods um, and interesting camera angles as much as possible. I mean, believe it or not, Jeremy actually has a big hand in how the movie looks as well. So, um, you know, Jeremy storyboards the whole thing and it's very particular about um, camera moves. I mean, I'll show him something better and he'll agree, but you know, oftentimes the things that he comes up with, uh, visually for the movie is what we go with. Right, right. So it kind of makes my job a little easier. Right. Um, um, 
but uh, you know, there was quite a few challenges um, with Ali as far as um, you know shooting in the cold. You know, a movie that was originally thought of as a summer right thriller. <laughs> you know, uh, we have a rafting scene when it's minus ten outside. Where did you shoot? Uh, on the on the elbow. No, but where? Oh, sorry, when? Oh, we shot in November. Oh my god, <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. On the elbow, wow. Okay, yeah, and it was snowing, so like you oh, see man. snow and rafting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's it's, but it was this dichotomy where just like it's like okay this is what these character these crazy characters do right and you don't even question it yeah i mean you do yeah and, and i was you know jeremy and i had a big i wouldn't say fight i mostly yelled at you the whole time <laughs> he ran me out I, he basically got into the elbow uh just with his loafers on trying to help speed things up and i yeah, I thought I thought everyone was worried about me, and I was like, "You guys, come on! Like, it's okay. I, don't worry about me. Don't worry about me." And then Colin took me inside and said, "They're angry with you because if you get sick, you're going to endanger the whole production." Right, right. We're not worried that you're going to get a sniffle, Jeremy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you could uh, you could halt everything. That's, yes. that's true. Yeah. Um, so it, I, I like it though. It, it does, and I'm ashamed to say I haven't seen it yet. I'm going to have to see it at, during the theatrical run. I missed it. That's a good. That's Calgary a good time Night. to see it. Yes. Uh, but it sounds to me like it would make sense to have that kind of a cold look for the subject matter does it not everyone likes that yeah, yeah. <laughs> the first shot is like uh dark figures carrying Allie's grave um like pallbearers they're carrying her got her yeah. coffin to the grave right and just seeing the dark figures on the white snow it's um you know i i guess people now associate snowy kind of cold thrillers with the fargo type look right which i guess it is i could liken it to so yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna pull us back a little bit more back to so uh, Robert is on board, and what are you thinking of as a budget, Colin? Um, well, basically we were trying to find that happy medium where you know we get the telefilm a third, the tax credits a third, and then a small of a hole in the middle. I mean, the, the thing we found is that um, it's unrealistic to go after pre-sales with your first feature i mean blake put it this way before we were completely unsuccessful we mm -hmm. tried multiple avenues nobody was interested afterwards we got to choose between four so i mean it's just between four different offers oh, okay oh wow awesome that's amazing so i mean it it all comes down to yeah your your experience level and it's just because the end wasn't a financial success, it just and it wasn't of that caliber. I mean, it was a you know twenty thousand dollar feature. I shot a mini DV, right? Yeah. yeah. So, but I mean, for like what what Scott and I are working on right now is is, is trying to finance our feature film. And what we're finding is people across the board want to see what we've done previously. So, was it useful in that sense for you guys to be like, look, this is the same team. We did this. Granted, it was mini DV, but was that useful at that time, or was it too too late? Well, okay, for, as far as telefilm is concerned, I applied to telefilm for the movie The End, and of course nothing. And I can mm -hmm. see why they would turn it down. And then after, they, yeah, they definitely quoted that. They would tell me, yes, Jeremy, you're the kind of artist that we want to support if you give us the right project. So yeah, like that kind of track record is, without The End, I would not have right. gotten Ally with Screaming right. Money. So uh, that's another huge learning point if you're paying attention, definitely. Don't I mean a lot of filmmakers are using StoryHive and 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 having a lot of success with with shorts and and that's 
I mean, I, I think, yeah, they don't make money, but they're so integral to have when you want to go bigger. Yes. You have to show what you what you can do. Um, if I could just tack on to that. I of mean, course. The other challenging thing about the end, though, is that it, it has hurt Ali's theater, or, um, festival run to a certain degree. Has it? Just because every single festival has a first-time feature oh, category yeah, yeah. and award. Hmm. And so you only get one kick at that can. Right, right, right. And I mean, I think it, what we did was the right decision. Mm-hmm. Um, but for everybody who just, I just want to make a feature, I don't know. It's, it's not always the right decision. That's, a, that's an interesting point. So you, when you were talking about financing, what what was the budget for the movie? Can we say? <laughs> um, it was under a half million. Okay, cool. So... Uh, what what did the financing plan end up being? Obviously, telephone was a chunk. Yeah, and then um, we did a little Indiegogo campaign, raised mm-hmm. money through that, awesome. and then um, private investment. Wow, cool, awesome. But I mean, the the key is to keep the the numbers small enough so mm-hmm. that that hole is is as little as possible. I mean, right. now we're at the point where, yeah, I think you know we, we will be getting pre sales on the next one, so. Um, so yeah, we can we can up our, our budget level, which will allow us to get better cast, which will also allow us to get better pre-sales. So right, it's, it's right. a bit of a circular. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, cast especially, and you guys cast got some solid key. cast. Like uh, looking did, at actually. the resumes, they you know scary movie and um, lots of lots of like known you know movies on their resumes. How did how did that come about? I just, just quickly, I just watched the new the trailer for the new X Files TV show, and then featured prominent prominently in it is uh, Giacomo. Besetto, he's Seth in Hollywood Screen. Oh wow! Did you see that, Dan? No, I didn't know that. That's yeah. awesome. You like the X Files, right? Yeah, yeah. Like I, close ups and everything. Any, yeah, I haven't watched any of the any of the new stuff yet. That's so. exciting. Yeah, um, and, and then uh, and then our uh, Camille Sullivan. Mm-hmm. Um, she's been nominated for like the Gemini, like the Canadian Oscar. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, uh, Charlie Carrick. I think right is he doing Rain right now? Yeah, and he, he was in the the Borg, the Borgias, the Borgias. Oh yes, yeah, yeah, yes. He was also in um, Ed, Ed Edward. Yeah. Yeah, and Molly Maxwell. Molly Maxwell, yeah, yeah. I'm just yeah. looking at his IMDb right now, and it's interesting. And I didn't Mater. know he was in Edward. That's a, a, a team that that was in the NSI Features program with us. Uh, they were working on their second feature film. They had they were in post on Edward at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so they so they are your rival. That's right. We hate them. No, they're from Vancouver. They're real. They're they're awesome. Uh, and yeah, Edward is doing so well. Um, yeah, friends shot that. Did you? Oh yeah. Yes, Tony, Tony Mirza and uh, uh, Chris Kapinski. Nice. But so oh, back to your actual question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, part of it came down to Robert Cockley again. Mm-hmm. I mean, because Robert's been at the the casting experience a number of times, and so he's worked with a lot of the talent. And Camille is actually somebody that um, he's. Um, auditioned a few times but it just never worked out for the right, role right. but it's someone that he really respected and so I mean it was one of the things where he reached out to uh, her agent who's also his friend and right. and um, that kind of started that process um, then we got a casting agent in, in Vancouver and mm-hmm. a casting agent here and, um, and yeah I think um, Jeremy found that quite an enlightening experience to, to have a professional on board to do that yes yeah how so because I'm, I approach everything with, at first, naive dumbness mm. until it's explained to me why I can't do that, <laughs> which is probably not a bad starting place as long as I'm surrounded by competent people. Just like when I was saying about, can we use headlights to light the nighttime scenes? 
I was saying to Colin, can't we just cast ourselves? Like, can't we just find people and reach out to them? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just, I didn't, I wasn't aware that people wouldn't just trust me. They'd say, who is this right. yeah. novice who's totally. just reaching out to me? Yeah, by doing a proper avenues, then, of course, it's a trusted safety net. And we, I was impressed. Some of the people that came to us, I don't think we uh, are supposed to say, but I mean, it's, um, we got a pretty good caliber of talent yeah. and, and a couple of known names that uh, either didn't work out for schedule reasons or what have you, but it was definitely a good learning experience for me. So uh, that's the that's the concern I always have is is it seems like nobody wants to finance a film unless there's a name attached, but you can't get a name attached unless you've got finance. Exactly. So what was that circular process like for you guys? Did you have your cast in place before you got financed? No. No. Um, no. That's one nice thing about telefilm. I mean, their their ultimate goal in the regional program is to develop Canadian talent. So they are willing to do more of the risky stuff. I mean, they did have final say over our, our leads. Um, they did say, like, we had to kind of submit a wish list. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, there was some control from them in that regard, but we didn't have to have signed talent. Right, yet. right. Cool. That's interesting. So let's let's move forward to the point where we're financed. Well, actually, I do have a question about, and I don't need to know, like, what exactly the the pocket money was or the or the independent financing. But but one question I always have is like, how do you? Oh yeah, we'll just we'll just find private financing for that. What what's the deal look like to pay those people back? Is that something fair to talk about? We don't need to talk about numbers or who, but I always wonder, like, isn't the expectation that they're going to get paid back, and isn't a movie a terrible investment <laughs> in the end? <laughs> Great question. Yeah. Um, well, that's one thing where, um, the cast comes into play, but I mean, for us, the, the whole was smart enough that our private investment became friends and family. Okay. So it, they weren't really looking at it from a financial investment perspective. Um, but I, I, yes, films can be, um, hard to make money on, but it's not that you're making no money on them. So it depends on how your your recruitment schedule works right, right. and and exactly where they are. I mean, because with telefilm, um, you know, they are now in a where in a policy where they recoup the same as all the other investors. So that makes it before they had to be, be recouped first, which meant that you know, yeah. private investments were Forget never going to get their yeah, money back. Exactly, yeah. But when you are you know making some money back on the the first dollars that come in from the film. Um, and also when you have tax credits that um, Telefilm also let us recoup on our tax credits. So mm-hmm. they treated that as an investment on our side. Wow. Nice. So, I mean, that that creates a position where, yeah, I, I think, you know, I mean, we're just starting our theatrical run on Friday in Toronto. But, um, yeah, I think we will be able to pay back our, our private investors. That's very exciting. I mean, I don't think they'll get, you know double their money no, back right. but i think you know if they break even i think everybody will be happy that's amazing and they weren't all friends and family there's a couple uh, there's well one i'm thinking of in particular who wasn't really a friend until he invested that's a quick way of making a friend <laughs> <laughs> yeah no doubt a best friend um and i see that tom benz is also an associate producer what was the what was the connection there because at the time was he the pn yeah, so yeah, first of yeah. all, who he is. Like, well, he, yeah. Yeah, like just so if so our listenership uh, who might not know him. Veteran he, of the industry. That's right. Yeah. He was a production manager on Brokeback Mountain. Yeah, yeah. It's huge. Many, many films. Yeah. yeah. Huge, huge resume. And, and speaking of like 
you know, having somebody on board who's a mentor. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Huge. So, and now he is, I'm forgetting his title, but he's at business, IATSE, agent. business agent at IATSE and a huge champion of the independent film world, which is great. Yeah, so Colin, Colin, Colin Colin's actually, best yeah, Colin should talk a little bit about yeah, that. Yeah. Do you want to chat about that? Yeah. I mean, we, we searched, um, high and low for a PM. I mean, we didn't have the budget for a large, um, producing team. So we knew that the production manager needed to be, um, someone with experience, mm -hmm. you know, and, mm -hmm. Once I convinced Jeremy that we did, in fact, need a production manager, <laughs> <laughs> that I couldn't just do everything myself. <laughs> yeah. um, it was something that um, we had we'd had a previous relationship with Tom. Um, knew he was a great guy. Um, we didn't approach him first for the simple reason that, at our budget level, we didn't think he'd be interested. Right, right. Um, but you know, finally, we're like, well, we may as well like just reach out to him, and he ended up being really interested. Mm -hmm. um, and um, he was that critical piece of the puzzle because um, I think just his level of experience um, allowed him to, to have a lot of effect on a lot of areas of the crew. Like it's just when things went south, he was that calm, you know, voice that, you know, I've been through this rodeo, you know, a hundred times in the past. Right. So we'll get through this again. And, and, um, and for me, I mean, he was kind of my mentor on it and, and um, going back and forth, um, I mean, I think we also kind of learned a little bit from each other, just in that he'd never worked on a, a budget of that size. Right, right. And so, I mean, when you have money, that tends to be how you solve problems. Right, of course, yeah. He, he, he had this phrase, he would say, this is no way to make a movie. <laughs> but this is the way we're going to make this yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah, hell yeah. Yeah, so I think he was like, he and I would kind of... Uh, spar at times because I could be a little bit uh, uh, difficult, I guess. <laughs> but um, but he and like looking back at it, like what a what a saint! Like coming <clears> through <throat> for us, coming through for me with his expertise and his patience, right. just awesome. Go on. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and when you don't have any money, the challenge you're always trying to do is how to not spend money. Right. 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 Um, and I think he was really valuable in showing us where we needed to spend money. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yes, it was expensive. But the show will not be done unless we for do sure. This, yeah, know? that's a great point. I mean, sometimes, sometimes you you get. I mean, when you have money, you can get stuck on throwing money at problems. And 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 as an indie filmmaker, yeah, it's like no, we can do this this way, or we'll shoot this. But some things do require money; they just do, right? So, like the for me, the the big thing was um, because we budgeted as a summer film. I mean, I, I was thinking that we just have a pop up tent, and that's where the actors would change and that right, sort of thing. Right. Well, you know, day two it starts snowing. Yeah. Um, and so Tom was like, you know, we need a trailer. Yeah. And it ended up being like a good chunk of our budget I'm to sure. get this trailer. Yeah. But we needed it. Yeah. 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 Now I, to think of what it would have been like without the trailer, I can, he was right. It would have been, everyone would have been miserable. It would have slowed things down incredibly. Like, wow, that, what a, what a good piece of advice that was. No doubt. Yeah. So on set, what was pre-production like? What was, you know, how, give me, give me an idea of the size of the film. What was the crew like? What was your team like, Dan? Um, my team was fairly small, but, uh, so I DP camera oper operated, mm -hmm. uh, I two, two camera assistants. Did we have a trainee? I can't remember. Anyways. Um, uh, I just had a gaffer, a key grip and a swing. Wow. So super. Uh, and a state student. And a state <laughs> student. That's right. Yes. Um, so yes, yeah, super small, um, uh, size wise. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and how, I mean, what's the, like, does that not, 
I think sometimes we think that that makes us move faster too. Is that true or is that? Oh, I, I move faster because you're smaller. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sometimes yes. Sometimes no. Right, I mean, right. it really depends on what you're doing and how big setups are and how big your scenes are. I mean, the good thing is we only ever had three people in a scene really. Right. I right. Mean, you know, there's, I guess there's some extra stuff that, you know, but I mean, and we had a pretty short shooting schedule. Mm-hmm. I mean, we did 12 days in Alberta and one day in BC. Oh, what was the one day in BC about? Um, the well, just because of the snow, mm-hmm. um, like there's one scene that takes place on the water. We had originally planned to shoot that at the reservoir, but we found out October 31st is when they close the reservoir uh-huh. to all boats. Shoot. So um, we ended up shooting that in Vancouver, um, in Deep Cove, and then we shot. There's um, some helicopter stuff that we shot in Vancouver. Cool. And then yeah, yeah. it was a big day. Like we got all over the place <laughs> for that day. We had, yeah, we had a big yacht. We had a motorcycle sequence. We had um, helicopter sequence. Wow, holy! Yeah. Where where in BC? Uh, so we did uh, Deep Cove and uh, another area in uh, North Vancouver and Richmond. Oh man, it's like three big airport. moves in it. Yeah, <laughs> oh, well, two two small moves, but yeah, right. Cool. I mean, that was a crew of what six? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, so, yeah I mean, cool. it was you know we had one light and uh, some bounce boards, and we just did what we needed to. Yeah, to get yeah, done, yeah. Right? And how's how does it look? Uh, I like it. Yeah, happy. With I, it? I mean, <laughs> we we got really lucky because we had this beautiful overcast and like almost fog in the background. Nice, beautiful, beautiful shots wow. that just end. Yeah, the texture for that part because it is a dream sequence. Oh, it's okay. uh, it's one of my favorite Beautiful. stuff in the movie awesome. for sure. And so the crew size. This is uh, once again only a little bit related, but it's a good funny story, and I'll try mm-hmm. to keep it quick. On the first day of shooting, like the end was such a small crew because Dan and Colin were doing everything, and I was acting in it, and it became very casual at the end because we're all like at the end of production because we're all friends. So I mean, and then when Ali was screaming started. Um, shooting on the first day I'd never been on a set like that like with equipment tracks trailers for the actors all these people walking around I didn't know who they were I was yeah. super intimidated sure. and frightened so uh, they ushered me over to where the action was going to take place and they were lighting Barb Mitchell to do uh, a shot and, and I was thinking what lighting people in the daytime like really <laughs> so um, and they, had, they ushered me to a monitor where I could watch the action on a monitor or I could look right in the eyes of the actor. Right. And then I, uh, you know, start calling out commands, uh, rolling, frame. And then suddenly everything got really quiet. And I was looking around thinking, wow, all these people around, the crew, actors, and things are so quiet. It's almost eerie. And I realized that I'd forgotten to call action. <laughs> and everyone's waiting on you. Yes. The, the one thing that a director is known to do. <laughs> Is what I forgot to do on my very first shot of shooting. Uh, oh my god! A, a well, I don't blame feature. you. That sounds incredibly yeah. overwhelming. Yeah, I, I could only hope that people thought that I just wanted, since it was the first shot, the correct level of respect. Right. right. Just, yes. Okay. It was planned. Yeah. And action. <laughs> <laughs> did someone have to nudge you, or did you just kind of wake up to it? Oh, it's it's a better. I, I, I like the story more that Robert Cuffley goes and says, "Jeremy, action!" <laughs> right. But I think it just struck me after uh, right, after right. a few uh, excruciating moments. Gotcha. Hmm. So, uh, what was the best day of shooting? Where, where, you know, you always get those like miracle moments that you didn't expect. Was there anything beautiful that you just, it, it, all, it all came together? 
I'll say for me very quickly because I, I can't say too much because it, I don't ruin too much. I think um, as, as a director, I knew that, that it was looking great because of what Dan was doing. I needed the, the climax to have a certain level of um, emotional truth and intensity. Mm-hmm. And the day that we shot the climax, I was like, I was choking back the tears because the actors did such a good job. The cinematography, it's like this candlelit sequence. It's just everything about it came together. And I thought, if this climax work, I know we're going to end on a good note. And that was the day for me. Right. Cool. And that was late in production, too. So I was always kind of nervous. Is this really going to fly? Is this going right. to, are they going to be able to bring it? They brought it. Nice. Good, good. Yeah. For me, awesome. for me, the magical day was actually our first day. Oh. And only because we had the biggest, the worst thing that could happen to a film crew happen to us on the first day. And it was Robert Cuffley who saved us. And uh, we had to do a giant unit move to a place we'd never scouted. And we got some beautiful stuff and finished our day. Oh, man. Yeah. Wow, that's great. So, so un- unexpected location, and, and you just had to roll with it. Yeah. That's awesome. Wow. We cool. get, like the team was really good. Like, I mean, we got permission. That's yeah. the funny thing. We, uh, we got permission to, uh, we asked, uh, what's the name of the place? Do you remember? There's a restaurant that's in uh, Fish Creek Park. And so we had permission from the restaurant to shoot on, you know, the part that they own or that sure. they're renting from the yeah. park. Well, then Park Alberta Park shows up and they're like, well, actually, no, because they're just renting from Alberta Parks. Uh-huh. They don't have permission to give Damn. you permission. Damn. So, um, well, plus we had all these vehicles in the, in the parking lot and... Right. Yeah. All it these is. A, yeah. Yeah. Right. A, a film crew can be. And, a and we had, you know, like we had city permits for everything. Like yeah, yeah. We had, everything was permitted up, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. it was just a miscommunication. The fact that Fish Creek isn't part of the city. Right. It's a provincial park. Right. And we were given permission from a person who couldn't give us permission. Right. right. <laughs> and, and the other thing was that um, the person who could have given us permission was out of the office that ah, day. Perfect. And so there was nobody to say yes. There yeah. was just a bunch of people to say no. Of course. Of course. Yeah. So then we went to Heritage Park. And shot there. Perfect. And um, they were very accommodating. Very awesome. accommodating. Wow. And, and again, we just like, we got such good stuff, like way better stuff than we would have had we gotten with our original awesome. plan. Very nice. That's happy awesome. accidents. Yeah. Awesome. Happy. Right now. Happy so uh, let's fast forward then to the film is done and we should talk about post, but we're running out of time. And I really want to talk about uh, the first premiere. Was that at the Calgary International? The world premiere? Kind of? It was actually at Cinefest oh, in Sudbury. Awesome. Cool. All right. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was, we had only one screening there, but it was it was a great opportunity to, to show the film. Um, but yeah, our, our main, you know, they brought out cast and everything for the gala wow, closing awesome. in Calgary. Nice. So. World premiere. Yeah, it was, to- it was like the most prestigious thing that's, this happened to me in my life, probably. Nice. Beautiful. That's yeah. exciting. So, uh, well received. Absolutely. Yeah. Seemed good. Yeah. Really, right. really I'm, I'm excited to see it. I, I, I'm looking forward to it. But uh, yeah, I, think, big... I think our festival run kind of shows it was, it's a fairly good movie. Absolutely. Yeah. And now you have a theatrical run. So, yeah. And that's uncommon. I mean, obviously not the very first feature film, but still first one of this size, at least for you, sir. Right. Oh, yes. Yeah. So, so exciting. <laughs> the, the good news that we've gotten. Yeah, for sure. So uh, tell me a little bit about how that came about. I, Pacific North, Northwest has come on board to be your distributor yeah. and is doing, like I say, a, a fairly uncommon theatrical release, which is amazing. So what what are the parameters? How did that come about? Um, well, that actually came at Whistler. Um, okay. Because Pacific Northwest is a big supporter of the Whistler Film Festival. Sure. Um, and um, Whistler also is, is a good industry festival. 
Um, audience sizes tended to be pretty small, but they're really trying to engage filmmakers with distribution. Awesome. Wow. And so they have, they set up one-on-one meetings. They um, have different events to try and, and make things happen. And the so, festival facilitates that. Yes. It's yeah. amazing. It's Holy. Great. If, if you wow, have it, I didn't know I mean, you generally have a choice between Whistler and Vancouver. If you're interested in in uh, large large audiences, you choose Vancouver. Right. If you're interested in business. actually getting business done, yeah. Whistler. Whistler. Interesting. I mean, I it all that. depends on planning out your run. I mean, if you've already played TIFF, yeah. then I mean, you don't necessarily need to go to Whistler because right. you've already kind of done they have those industry side. Sure. Um, cool. But, That's great. Uh, but for us, so yeah, it was it was a, an important piece in the in the puzzle. And was that where you see you said four offers in the end? In the end, yeah. Wow. And was that was it because of Whistler, or was it a couple other festivals as well? Um, yeah, I mean, it was it was mostly Whistler. I also I, I went down to the American Film Market uh, yeah. and um, and knocked on a lot of doors there. And that, that's how we wound up getting our, our international sales agent. Oh, cool. Um, was through the AFM, um, and then um, yeah, it was just a lot of pounding on doors. And I mean, even in in Calgary, we were um, talking to the programmers who were suggesting different distributors that might be potentially interested so it was uh, reaching out to them and right. and trying to get get a deal made and it, and it's it, i th- for me uh, it's about having a the fit the feature finished already so i mean i'm i've been spending a lot of time working on my feature trying to get a distributor on board pre-shooting and and be part of the budget but that's really challenging to do uh and, and I, yeah going i i went to the american film market as well and and going there was it was very clear that you've got to have a finished thing to sell at that point if you're if you're looking to try to make a deal um so i guess uh what what's happening right now as of today we've got you know today will be the theatrical release uh, as far as the, the podcast yes. goes, but but today what's going on now it sounds like you, you're you're wheeling and dealing trying to make it go further or what's the what's the next step with it is I mean, there like, for ali um we're just trying to support the theatrical release mm-hmm, as much mm-hmm. as possible where you know then it will go on vod and super right. channel um in the in the new year oh cool awesome um so yeah, I mean that, and then hopefully we'll be able to <laughs> step back from it. Yeah, because um, it, it's been, it's still been quite a time intensive process. I'm sure, um, just with all the the festivals and with the um, getting the uh, posters and materials and marketing and everything else that's required. For sure. Well, even the re the recut for the <laughs> the things we've had to do on the post side that were needed from our distributors. Ah, uh, yes, the good old QC. What's yeah. that? Quality uh, control. Oh, yes. So, yeah, basically, um, yeah, I mean, it was one of those things where the other unfortunate reality of being indie film is that we waited to do the QC until um, we had the distributor in place because mm-hmm. that way we knew that it would be the one that they wanted. We didn't meet their parameters, yeah. Right. But that meant that we were doing it like a year and a half after shooting we had been done. Right. Like right. We, we, we had our masters made. And they were doing QC a year and a half later. Right, right, right. And so when changes need to be made, it just it became a real process to to go back and and get it. Sure. Especially since everybody gets so busy. Um, yeah, yeah, I think it's important for filmmakers to know that that it's a full time job long after shooting. There's, I'm sure, there's a ton of accounting to take care of as well. Oh totally. yeah, absolutely. Tax credits and yeah. 
Um, so, but you you qualified it by saying what's going on with Allie. That that's a good question. What's what else is happening now? Are you is it becoming a springboard to the next project a little bit? Yeah. Where are you going next? Or where are you going? Where where are you right now, Colin? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I mean, we're. I mean, why did we make Allie? Ultimately, we made Allie because it was the film that got funded. Right. So. Um, now we're, I mean, Jeremy's working on, you know, he has one script done that we're, we're looking for financing for. He has another script in development that I think Telefilm will, um, be interested in. Um, then there's, you know, a couple of other projects that, you know, I might, might help produce with. And then, you know, Perfect Pictures, Dan and I, we're also pursuing, um, some other projects as well. Cool. And so it's just a matter of, of trying to get that, um, slate of projects so that, so that when we as we interact with people we always have that project to present to them right but as of this date of broadcast hmm. colin will just be coming back with hopefully some uh good news because you're gonna uh, be yeah. in uh california for, yeah. again for the american film market yeah I mean, a lot of that is is i'm not really looking to do deals at the fm right, right, i'm right. more looking for um, some meetings to to start building some relationships and because last year when I went it was all about selling alley I, yeah, I wasn't yeah. it, it was such a it was a full-time job just to do that mm-hmm. that I didn't have time to really um, build relationships about future projects right so that's a lot of what this is going to be about um, I don't expect to come home with money I expect to come home with a good idea of, a, of creating a roadmap for a bigger it. Rolodex yeah the network. I think something else that's helpful looking forward with Ali was screaming is that I know a lot of people like it, but even if, you know, with not every movie is right for every person, mm-hmm. but just the fact that there's so many things that can go wrong with a budget, with making a movie artistically and financially, that now financers and telefilm know that we're not going to muck it up. Right. That we can at least get through the process with something. Is it everyone's taste? It could be some, might not be others, but they'll know when they see a script land at their door. That well, these guys have what it takes to at least pull off what they're talking through, about. Right. Yes, and, and at least people are going to get and, some money back if they invest. Yeah. Yeah, and that, and that's that's the importance, of course, of doing a short or maybe a feature. Again, taking this back full circle, just showing people. Okay, so they can do it. Mm-hmm. That's all. Cool. Cool. Uh, well, so to wrap things up, if you're if you're if you want to make a feature film from each of you, what's the most important thing? To remember dan or what's the most important lesson <clears throat> well uh i'm i <laughs> i i believe especially for in, independent films um believe it or not even though i'm a cinematographer and i i love beautiful images uh sound is the by far the most important mm-hmm. thing um getting getting good sound is if you don't get good sound when you're there it's gonna bone you i'm shooting uh benjamin ross hayden's feature film right yeah. now called the northlander and uh man it's just been a it's been a slog with sound right because i know i don't know if ben knows mm-hmm. but i know you know just like i'll call cut because there'll be something wrong with sound and i know because he won't have the money to fix it in right. post yeah. yeah it's so important um to get it right the first time sure. don't don't cheap out on sound Okay. Uh, because even like the end, even though the images weren't as good, good because it was shot mini DV, uh, you know, uh, at the time, at least the sound was pretty decent. Nice. And, uh, you know, and, and 
100% of audiences will walk out of a movie that has terrible sound right. where a very small percentage of people will leave a movie because of terrible images. And uh, it's kind of weird for me to say that, but uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, but as the cinematographer, um, but it's just something I very much hold dear for small projects because you just can't fix it in post. So, so true, yeah. How about you, Jeremy? I have no good answer to this. There's too, there's, it's too many things too many I'd things. have to think about. It. It's, it's a good question. And uh, I'll just say quickly about yourself. You're, uh, I'm impressed with the, the questions you ask, the knowledge of the industry, the knowledge of our history with this. Even though you haven't seen the movie, it seems yeah. like... Yeah. I will. I'll fix that. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, no, I know. No, I know. But you're, you've, uh, you're well prepared and... Uh, and so no, but really, I appreciate for, thank, I, thank you. But 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 from the director's perspective, what what's what's a tidbit you could give to somebody like like that? Your first day on set was a great story. What's you know as a director, what's the thing you should be most prepared with or thinking about? Well, what, this is just for me. I, I this is my theory is that with all the media today, the oversaturation of media, you mm-hmm. have to distinguish yourself some way. Right. So I think to especially. When you don't have a large budget to distinguish yourself, you have to have something in your sensibility that's not bland and generic. Mm. There has to be something that people say, man, this is something that's interesting because it sets itself apart. That's That's why I do think that you have to be a little bit artistic, not just to be arty and to say, hey, look at me. But to differentiate. Yeah, I think people have to know like, okay, I'm seeing something that's not... This not that I haven't just seen a million times. This is important for me to watch. And the filmmakers involved have put the effort in to show me something new and important. It's a great point. That's that's what it is. Yeah, especially with YouTube, right? Everybody's making the same YouTube video over and over again. And I think the ones that are really successful are the ones who are using effects because it's different. You know, maybe not as much now, but but in the last couple of years, YouTube is the quality on YouTube has grown so extremely. Yeah, and just having an interesting sensibility, so people don't have access to technology or budget mm-hmm. like i mean a lot of the, the great uh advancements in cinema has been not uh, many have been based on effects and stuff like that and, and thank goodness because there are some great effects with computers and things like that but a lot of the other ones are sensibility right. like you, you uh you brought up tarantino well he kind of changed filmmaking from the existential to the ironic mm, mm. and uh and not that all the changes are necessarily good in every way sure but, but th- being people, different is is valuable yeah, and, yeah. And, to, and to bring up an interesting sensibility or worldview, yeah. I think is I think is very important. Right on. Cool. How about you, sir? One um, most important thing from the producer perspective. I guess like as we've kind of talked about, um, the chance of getting a pre-sale is, is low. Mm-hmm. However, I think a lot of times people are making feature films that they want without thinking about how it's going to sell right like who is your market how are you going to reach them right i mean i mean jeremy and i've had this conversation before and it's true that every film has a market but if you can't reach that market in an affordable way then how are you ever going to sell it totally yeah so i think i guess start with the end in mind i guess yeah think about your audience where is it going right and and how are you going to reach these people and why are they going to like your film Mm -hmm. and and start that that process as early as possible. That's a great point. And let's just talk about what pre-sales are. We've mentioned them a few times, but what, what is a pre-sale exactly? It's when someone gives you money before you start shooting. Right. I mean, it's it's Super Channel giving you some money. It's it's sometimes a, a broadcaster or a um, or a distributor like they'll they'll just kick in money that will help you 
close your budget. And when you say foreign pre-sale, when you attach foreign to it, it, that would be when you have a distributor who's said, you know, we've got a good relationship with this territory of the world and we, we know we can pre-sell it here. So we're, we can kick some money to the budget based on that. Yeah. I mean, it's either a broadcaster will actually sign up already and right. kick money in. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I think just this morning, Nomadics announced that they sold a show to sci-fi. Um, so they're getting like 11 episodes. And so sci-fi has already given them money to close right. their budget. Right. Other times it might just be a, a sales agent who has the relationships where they don't necessarily have signed documents for broadcast, but they know the market well enough to um, be able to predict sales. Right. I mean, that is the other challenging thing about the world that we live in is that distribution is completely changing. Yeah. And so I think that's why, you know, having the right cast and having the right sales plan um, is critical because I mean, I think at AFM this year, there's going to be, you know, something like 3,000 new feature films. So, I mean, how do you stand out among that? Yeah. yeah. And, With and, a distinguished sensibility. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, there's many elements. Many but also elements. a different, something individual, like you mentioned. Sometimes. That's also why we did our festival run. Right. Because, I mean, there's not a lot of Canadian films that can say they played at the Beijing International Film totally, Festival. Totally. You know, so, yeah. or we're, you know part of the Canadian perspective at Cannes. Totally. So, I mean, it's it's going after those sorts of elements as well. Well, thank you guys. We're uh, about an hour in, and that was really That flew awesome. by. It did, and I want to talk with each of you individually on the podcast as well in the future because there's a whole bunch of other stuff we could chat about. But thank you for all for being so open, and uh, I know the audience appreciates it. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you.